Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shock Doctors podcast. I'm Jim Smith. I'm Matt Jarendazy. And we are the Shock Doctors. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Saw 10, or Saw X, or whatever the hell it's supposed to be called. It is the 10th film in the franchise. Yeah, and this is a franchise that has produced no orphans, no redheaded stepsons, no, you know, no. it, it is counting all of them, even Spiral and Jigsaw, which are vestigial limbs at best. <laughs> they were not numbered entries. Spiral in particular was a total waste of time. So <laughs> yeah. kudos to them for, I mean, I guess 10 is a, is a, is a meatier, more definitive sounding number. If you're going to do like a franchise send off. Yeah. Well, it's like how windows had windows seven, windows eight, and then they just went to 10. <laughs> <laughs> Still one of the most incredible choices. I think a tech company has made in the last number of years. It's like, nah, 10 sounds better. But the whole thing about it, I understood, was like, okay, Windows 10, it's going to be the last one. It's just going to be continuously updated forever. And then they put out an 11 anyway. They should have just done 9 after 10, just (laughs) to fill in the blanks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, half the time when they switch to a new operating system, whatever, you know, people miss the old one anyway. So it would have been brilliant to skip right to 10 and then regress slightly, you know, <laughs> just hit hit that sweet spot. Better than eight, but, you know, not, well, whatever. Yeah, well, I, people certainly are nostalgic. I, I haven't switched from seven. No. <laughs> Fuck that. Anyway, to get, try and get back on track here. We have often denigrated the Saw franchise, but that denigration has been based almost entirely on our having seen the first and second films. And then I mean, subsequent to that, we watched Spiral. It was a podcast episode, but we didn't do our due diligence. I don't think we ever felt like we were falling down on the job or anything like that. But uh, we we never did the real deep dive because we just thought, yeah, okay, we kind of we kind of get the picture from one and two. These movies aren't for us. We think they're dumb. Well, they're just they're. I mean, my main issue with them and yours, you know, I'm sure, is that they're just kind of formally obnoxious. You know, yes. we like all kinds of dumb horror movies, but on an audio visual level, they grate on you and on I. And for some people, that's just not the case. And I, I don't know how to reach them. I'm sure they find me just as frustrated <laughs> because <laughs> for me, it's it's almost insurmountable. But we did go through the, the whole run of them, all the ones we'd skipped over, three, four, et cetera. Yeah. You were saying before we hopped on the mic that they kind of wore you down a little and you started to love Big Brother after a certain point. I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I will say that they do wear you down somewhat. I didn't actively hate them the way I kind of did watching the original, which is regarded even by non-Saw heads as like a landmark or borderline landmark horror film. Yeah, modern classic. And it's certainly... The film that launched the career of not only James Wan, but his creative partner, Lee Wannell, also. And yeah, no, I just, we, we thought they were crap. But when it comes right down to it, 
with the exception of Saw 3, which is a bit of an outlier in that regard, all the other sequels, like 4 through Jigsaw, are like between 91 and 93 minutes with credits, (laughs) which means they're about 85 to 87 minutes of actual film. Well, Saw, what is it? I think 4 through 6, kind of 7, but 7 feels kind of all over the place in a couple ways yeah i think four through six i got the distinct feeling it's like with the friday the 13th sequels where in the middle of this long-running franchise you'll have a more or less self-contained trilogy yeah you know the Corey uh kid i think it's character's name is tommy something Mm -hmm. and you kind of get this arc that is more or less independent of the rest of what's going on you get that to a certain extent around the midpoint and that sort of rejuvenates it call it the hoffman arc yeah (laughs) i thought there was a non-zero chance that hoffman might be the ingredient that spoke to you because he's (laughs) just this kind of meathead detective (laughs) character that i could see you going in for you see it wasn't really hoffman because frankly i get where you're coming from and your read of my preferences is not off base per se but uh-huh. Hoffman is also just such a non-entity. Yes. He, he's so, he's a black hole of charisma. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm going all the way back to the original Saw, my problem from day one is that I thought Jigsaw was a little bit of a blowhard and kind of a dullard and nowhere near as, you know, I, he's just a guy who loves to hear himself talk. And all of his protégés are less interesting than that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think Hoffman Hoffman is the most entertaining just because he's such a knucklehead. Well, he's got but... this fucking, he's got this perpetual smirk. <laughs> like, I, I think it reaches its apotheosis in... Um... I guess it's the end of five and consequently also the beginning of six because these movies do the archive footage recap sort of thing a lot of the time, particularly oh, in yes. these middle segments, which I guess would well, be Well, they've useful. all got a, got a factory installed flashback montage stapled onto the <laughs> ending. So Lord knows you can make copious use of regurgitated material. It, 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 it's, it's just mandated, you know, it's one of the most... You could set your watch to it. Yeah, and I guess that might be helpful if you're watching these movies as they came out once a year, which they did for seven fucking years in a row. Yeah. But uh, if you're mainlining them like I was, I think you spread them out a little more than I did, maybe over the course of a couple of weeks. We're recording on a Tuesday. I watched Saw 3 Thursday night and (laughs) watched the rest of them over the course of the next few days. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. So it does get a little overwhelming at that point. But anyway, end of Saw 5 and beginning of Saw 6, when Hoffman has successfully foiled and trapped that fed uh, Strom, I think his name is. Was that the collapsing room? The collapsing room where Hoffman is just hanging out in a box in the floor. (laughs) Oh, yeah, his his fucking pouty lips are just like... <laughs> <laughs> Shit-eating doesn't even begin to describe it. It really doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't help that he's in a glass coffin. Makes him look like a fucking... Like a smug vampire, you know, <laughs> as, the, as the blood rains down on him. <laughs> yeah. 
So he's he's sort of fun. And the point being, like you were saying about the run times, those middle stretch movies are all 90 minutes tops. They almost feel like a like a mega Hoffman triple feature kind of. If you can watch fucking Killers of the Flower Moon in theaters, then you can watch, <laughs> you know, the the Hoffman trilogy and have, I would think, a passable time. I mean, I still, for me, it's a very diamond in the rough thing. I didn't warm to the movies quite as much as you did, but I did find a couple things to hang my hat on in any given installment uh and i'm gonna single out some of those this is quickly turning into a referendum on the whole series i knew that was going to be it was, knew it was going to be my instinct and had a, a hunch it might have been yours uh so we'll have to table some of that but i have a lot of thoughts i have some bones to pick you know and i want to I, I, and i feel an urge to set the record straight because saw as a franchise is in a very rosy glasses place right now i think saw 10 is reviewing surprisingly well and everyone's just kind of favorably disposed towards it it's benefiting from that upswing in just critical appreciation that we've talked about on the podcast innumerable times now that horror movies are being graded on a curve all of a sudden well, and it also helps that literally a week later, DGG's Exorcist Legacy sequel came out and absolutely fucking tanked critically. Everyone hates right. it. And side note, that'll be our next fucking episode. Oh yeah, tune in next time. But yeah, just to be clear, I want to reiterate again. I don't want to <laughs> overstate the degree to which I don't want to say that I enjoyed them. And that's not just me being obstinate and sticking to my old guns. I really, I didn't enjoy the movies as such. They just ended up grading on me a little less than I thought they would. And Mm -hmm. it was not quite such an insufferable experience watching a bunch of Saw sequels, six of them in the course of, I guess, five days. Because I I thought I might not survive. (laughs) Live or die. (laughs) <laughs> I would make my choice to die. <laughs> so, in the manner of my proposed Windows 9, Saw 10 is set between two of the previous entries. It is, I think, set directly after the first one. And they're lucky, in a way, that John Kramer has been a terminal cancer patient from the very start, because... Tobin Bell's decrepitude is not a hindrance here and is in some ways an asset. It's a movie where you can jump around in the chronology and give us new jigsaw material, the man, the myth, the legend, and have it not be weird that he looks kind of run down. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, for context, the man is 80 now, and he was like early 60s for the first few installments, so... It is kind of funny, having watched most of those sequels just recently, and he does look more corpsey here, because he is substantially older. But yeah, he, it's not like he was hale and hearty in Saw's 3 and 4, or, or which, whichever ones you want to pick out. Right, and he was well cast in that regard, because the character calls for a gaunt face. Yeah, a kind of haggard figure. Uh, He's always been a great presence. The voice has always been great. 
I've never liked the puppet, never no. liked the pig masks, or most of the other things about the Jigsaw persona, but I've never had issue with Tobin Bell. He's just, he's like Brad Dourif or Robert Englund. You know, they get a taste for these horror series, and they just, like, seemingly either unabashedly love them, or they're just incredibly good sports, one or the other, but they just come whenever they're called, and I find that enormously endearing. Yeah, I, we'll we'll have to talk about the puppet and the pig masks and so forth post break. Yes, um, I agree with you broadly speaking about Tobin Bell. The one thing that I don't even necessarily dislike it, but I do think it's a little bit silly. I don't know if you noticed this in some of these middle sequels, but sometimes, and it's only when he's doing the tapes, the voiceover bits. When he's in person, this never happens. But when he's doing his I want to play a game speeches, there are occasional sentences where he almost seems to pick up like a slight British accent. <laughs> a little pot. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, it's just he, like his diction gets too precise. I can't really describe it in more detail than that, but there are, there are like weird reads sprinkled throughout like three to seven. Well, and increasingly as the series went on, seeing him switch modes from scary tape recorder voice to normal conversational voice just got funnier and funnier. <laughs> this movie even calls him out on it. There's a character, though, a villain character, who is egging him on and telling him to put on the scary voice, you know, right. and that dichotomy is kind of amusing. I think that what you're criticizing is indicative of this thing that this series has always tried to do, which has never sat right with me, which is that they want to impress upon you that Jigsaw is, you know, a philosopher and a learned man, you know, <laughs> and he's so deep. He's got, you know, and, and this is a series that has always just, I know there are a lot of people who appreciate it in kind of an irony poisoned prequel trilogy kind of way uh -huh. where it's just a meme factory and that I appreciate, you know, that, that I get in a limited way. And then there are just fucking simpletons who think that it's actually <laughs> very deep. They're the kind of people who will say shit like, you know, Jigsaw never killed anybody. <laughs> <laughs> These are the same sorts of people who say, I live my life by the philosophy of Batman. Yeah, that, well, right. I mean, it's, he's just kind of, right. He's a comic book villain. One of my issues with Jigsaw is that he's like a Batman villain who has no arch nemesis who's worthy of him. He gets so comic booky after a certain point. He's so elevated, and then the movies never catch up with him. It, it'd be like if The Dark Knight was just about Commissioner Gordon fighting the Joker. <laughs> Except, obviously, you never get a cop character that intriguing or entertaining. I, I mean, Danny Glover, Lord knows, would have been up for it, but he's completely fucking squandered in that first movie. And I'll oh, have yeah. more to say about how consistently stupid the cop procedural stuff is in all of these movies it's a hallmark of the whole thing yeah so without any further ado we open in what looks to be a torture trap it is, is in fact i think an mri machine which is i'm given to understand not unlike being tortured the jigsaw <laughs> is getting scans done or getting radiation and he emerges from the machine so it's you know it's a, it's a clever enough inversion of what we're normally used to seeing. He's in this big 
intimidating contraption. And then he comes out, and the prognosis is not very good. And he's just sort of an affable everyman in this movie when he's not, you know, switching into scary voice. You know, the dichotomy has never been more extreme than it is here. You know what it reminded me of? And there's one particular element of this connection that I can get more into as we get further along the plot rundown. But it's a character switch that's almost akin to Stephen Lang and Don't Breathe 2. Yes. Yes. I had that exact thought. I kept thinking that it was reminding me more and more of a Don't Breathe 2 or like a Death Wish than a Saw movie because he is the protagonist this time around. And problematically for me, the people that he's torturing for the second half of the movie are people who have wronged him specifically. So he's out for revenge. It's it's narrower But it's not in a retribution, way. he says. But yeah, it I mean, rings pretty fucking hollow. Yeah, exactly. I think that his shtick, which I never really liked, nonetheless works better when he's just an ideologue, when he's just making mincemeat out of jaywalkers you know and people people <laughs> who have committed these slights against society but not against him specifically i think when he's got skin in the game that cheapens it somehow and it was kind of cheap to begin with right however and well, I actually not however because this is a perfect encapsulation of what i was just saying he's at his most charming when he is just this wrathful angel descending upon random schmoes who happen to catch his ire the highlight of this whole movie and one of the high points of the series is he he's in the hospital and he sees a janitor pilfering money from somebody's wallet and he launches into this torture fantasia where he's just <laughs> like he instantly it's like it's like uh i felt like salieri and amadeus you know it's like it, it just it, uh, this vision just comes to him like he knows exactly what he's gonna do to this guy like how mozart's music is dictated by god it's just <laughs> a hilarious thing to witness he, he has this vision of this guy in a torture device it's the one on the poster so they must have been proud of it although not coincidentally the tubes coming out of the guy's eyes create an x shape so saw 10 there yeah. you go his eyes are hooked up to vacuum tubes that are going to suck his eyeballs right out of his head and he has to break each of his fingers his sticky fingers <laughs> <laughs> in order to be freed from the trap uh so that his eyeballs don't get sucked out and jigsaw concocts all this spur of the moment you get the sense that he's already thinking about his home depot budget you know <laughs> <Like> <laughs> running through right. all the logistics all the all the nuts and bolts of the thing and then i don't remember exactly what happens to defuse it he must see the guy put the money back or the guy seems contrite or has second thoughts or something because then jigsaw decides to spare him yeah the guy does put the stuff back and then he like sees jigsaw looking at him and Starts walking out, and Jigsaw puts a hand on his shoulder, maybe, and says, like, good choice. <laughs> <laughs> so Jigsaw gets wind of a miracle cure for his cancer from a patient who went to Mexico and got the procedure done. It's a mix of surgery and something else. I don't know, some kind of serum. Yeah, some and special drug therapy. 
I've always thought that Jigsaw was not as smart as he purports to be and kind of a windbag. But I have to say, <laughs> I still think he's a little too shrewd to be taken in by this. But uh-huh. uh, he is taken in by it. And he goes to Mexico. And he is greeted by a, a pair of banditos, a pair of guys with like bandanas on and, and you know, waving guns in his face. And it's kind of a rough way to roll out the red carpet and then intense red flag, which he nonetheless ignores. I thought that the movie could have done more. To, I mean, once he meets the head doctor lady, she seems very Florence Nightingale about the whole thing. But already by that point, there have been numerous indications that he's walking into the, you know, a big reverse bear trap, basically. Right. Well, the the way that stuff gets explained away is these treatments aren't approved anywhere by any government body or, or licensing organization. And so basically the governments and big pharma are constantly after them. So they have to keep their walls up. But yeah, it's, it's pretty sketchy, obviously. Yeah. Well, and in, in, in fairness, Jigsaw is pretty unflappable. You'd have to be to do what he does. So I don't take issue with the fact that he's not intimidated by the guns. I just think that he's always supposed to be one step ahead or really more like 10 steps ahead, given how most of these movies play out. Most of these movies, he is deceased, you know, and they're just carrying out his will to the letter. And it always works exactly the way he expected it to. So when your character is basically the Oracle at Delphi, you know, has this <laughs> totally superhuman ability to see it from every possible angle. You're really, you've written yourself into a corner at this point because nobody can ever get the better of him. And yet these characters do. And they're not that impressive. They seem like pretty low rent villains. I had the same problem with Don't Breathe too. The villains were just not up to snuff. And yeah, that's a, that's a problem, especially here when we've had, you know, upwards of nine movies to establish this guy's credentials. It was a problem even in Don't Breathe 2. And Stephen Lang, while a great presence in that movie, was not like Freddy Krueger, you know? So that's an issue. He has the procedure performed. And at some point during all of this, he befriends a Mexican boy who he sees playing soccer, you know, kicking a football around. And that comes into play later on. And then, oh God, I'm already fuzzy on this. He goes back to the facility and finds that it's been totally abandoned. Yeah, it looks so, like one of his one of his murder warehouses. Frankly, <laughs> you know, it's again, it's an inversion of what we're used to seeing. He's you know on the receiving end of a pretty nefarious switcheroo, and he it, they even play it that way to the extent that it starts doing the saw climax flashback stuff. At the, the, the epiphany, you know, uh-huh. all of these movies end with a character who's about to die, having a horrible realization and connecting all these dots, you know, all these sound bites start being filtered in and the camera starts doing the Benny Hill shit that we both hate, <laughs> where it's like it's attached to a mosquito. It just starts <laughs> zipping around the room and he just kind of puts his head in his hands like, oh, <laughs> and peels off his head bandage. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they actually even made an incision. I think that they just... They did nothing. The shtick is that they basically dug up a craniotomy surgery video on DVD and played Uh it on a monitor. 
so he could see it while he was drifting in and out of his anesthesia. And then they just made some noises and mimed some stuff. And they, they fucking, they, they, yeah, they drew some blood beforehand. That's the extent of the actual medical procedures that they did. Right, which is crazy to me, because if you had just wounded his head, even in like a non-medical way, if it was just painful once the anesthetic wore off, you might have been able to get away with this ruse for like a day, another 48 hours. You know, it's Give just, yourself it seems... a little more time to get away to cut and run right it was just so funny to me when he took off the bandage and he was perfectly fine <laughs> i mean he's not perfectly fine he's still got a tumor in his head yeah but big big tumor inoperable yeah well and it's a it's a weird set piece too because saw three it's kind of the lone bright spot for me in saw three saw three features him having brain surgery done with no anesthetic and i think that that's I keep mentioning that this movie is trying to invert things, flip them on their head and put Jigsaw in the position of one of his victims. But I think that Saw 3 does that better than any of the other movies because he goes under the knife in Saw 3 and feels it every step of the way. And I think that that's the brain surgery set piece that this movie is inevitably going to be measured against. And it's just, you know, a total a total sham, a total pantomime. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about the first half of this movie because on the one hand, this movie is a little bit, well, actually, substantially, I'd say, more handsomely mounted than really any of the prior installments. It's just better looking by a significant margin, I think. And as kind of strange or as very strange as it is to have Jigsaw be this sort of affable screen presence for much of this time... It's really not such a bad time going through this whole thing. But on the other hand, there was that sort of nagging in the back of my mind. It's like, I know what this movie's supposed to be about. Because, number one, I know he dies. I know in Saw 3, which happens later in the internal chronology, he still has terminal brain cancer. So there is a little bit of like, okay, what, what the fuck is all this about? Why are we playing this out to this extent? Well, in answer to that question, I think for a lot of people, the why is going to be answered by this kind of fanficy desire to see him interact with Amanda more. Amanda being his female acolyte, who is, I think, a fan favorite and is regarded. I mean, Hoffman is funny, but people actually seem to like Amanda, and right. I'm not entirely sure why. Yeah. But they have some of that Palpatine Vader stuff in this movie. Some people wanted to see more of that. I was not really one of them. I've never found her that interesting. I barely find him interesting, so that's where the bar is set. <laughs> well, yeah, but the weird thing is it takes about half the movie for her to reappear, too. So it, yeah. th that doesn't even... That still doesn't explain what we're doing for most of the first at least 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Except just kind of playing out the string on, okay, when's when's the other shoe going to drop? When is he going to figure it out? And yeah, he, <laughs> after he believes himself sufficiently recovered, he like sits down at a cafe somewhere and using visible landmarks does his like civil engineer shtick and triangulates where this surgery location that he was not supposed to be privy to actually is. And he like buys this girl who was kind of there at the Hacienda, a gift and goes to bring it to her. And then it, you know, it's a bottle of tequila, which he proceeds to That's smash right. once he figures out the ruse. 
Oh, right. Well, I think I get what you're saying. And, and I, I, I think that the big issue that it creates for me folds into what I was saying a couple minutes ago. The idea of John Kramer being taken in by this cardboard box with propped up by a stick with the word <laughs> miracle cure written on the side. The fact that we know he never is cured if we've seen Saw 2, Saw 3, that makes him seem like even more of a dupe. And just we should, as stupid as it is that he's always 10 steps ahead of everybody, it's, I think, a mistake to invert that. I think that when if we feel smarter than Jigsaw, something has gone terribly awry. So here we switch into Death Wish mode, Don't Breathe 2 mode. He's going to gut these pigs. And that's the rest of the movie, basically. Yeah. He, we get a succession of death traps, none of which really did much for me. There was one kind of gnarly moment relatively early on where the main doctor lady, the villainess of the piece, carves somebody open and pulls their intestines out and ha makes like kind of an intestine lasso in order to, <laughs> yeah. in order to uh, pull some puzzle item closer to her. I, the details escape me. There's a funny moment shortly after that where one of the victims hits play on her tape recorder gets the obligatory i want to play a game and then she's like ah and throws the tape recorder away and jigsaw has to get on the intercom because he's watching all of this and say no i'm sorry that <laughs> that's not gonna work <laughs> and he has to put his scary voice back on <laughs> and do like a live read because she just hit stop on the tape recorder and it's kind of hilarious that it's never occurred to anybody else to do that, just because if I don't listen to the instructions, the game cannot be fair and therefore cannot proceed because Jigsaw has this ironclad sense of right and wrong. Although I guess if you just elect to not listen to the rules, in his mind, you're just... You're not obeying the rules. There's Yeah, and you're, you're just lining up to be killed. You're just volunteering to be done away with. The other thing about all of these middle installments where it's just Jigsaw is dead and Hoffman is carrying out all these schemes. Hoffman is much less beholden to the philosophy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a little bit more of a wild card, which is what makes him at least sporadically worth watching. Right. So I think particularly in any of the Hoffman traps in the, the middle of this series, if anybody like started playing the tape and then stopped he would just kind of shrug and smirk and proceed to deploy the rest of the game anyway it's like well, right i tried to help you you know <laughs> i tried to give you the... <laughs> mr police i gave you all the clues yeah right exactly so if i remember right the lady who tosses away the tape recorder gets hoisted into the air. She's got one chain attached to like her left wrist, another chain attached to her right ankle or vice versa. And she's in, she's strung up in front of a big like X-ray cannon effectively that is uh, rapidly irradiating her. And this kill I took issue with, I know we've skipped over a couple. This one stood out to me mostly not for good reason because they make, the radiation machine they give it this big angry like hal 9000 eye to kind of, <laughs> right to sort of because in, radiation is an invisible killer and that's not very cinematic so they try they try i think too hard to impress upon you that she's burning 
but it just looks like some kind of weaponized oven yeah, it's just that's a big cooking her. Lamp. I think, right, whereas radiation is scary because it is invisible, and I think that if it had just been, you know, if her skin had just started to peel and bubble with no discernible source, I think that's what gives me the willies about radiation deaths. Well, and yeah, so I mean, the, Christ, watch fucking Chernobyl. Yeah, right, exactly. So that was a misfire. And the whole thing is kind of a misfire. It's just a very clumsy operation where she has to use a sledgehammer in midair to break her wrist and ankle to get free. And the doctor, the main villain, gives her this bewildering advice. She's like, no, go for your ankle first, then you'll swing out of the way, which she proceeds to do. And then she does swing out of the way because she's just suspended from the one chain after that point. And then the x-ray gun tracks and finds her again and now delirious with pain and half conscious she has to lift the, the sledgehammer and shatter her wrist yeah. and her, whereas had she gone for the wrist first she would have just fallen to the floor that was my thought like, what are you talking about unless i mean there's a chance that the doctor lady is trying to get her accomplices killed she has a villainous monologue to that effect in a couple minutes here well so, yes and she ultimately ends up killing this girl yes and amanda is the name of the female acolyte amanda is yeah. beside herself when this happens and this is the one moment of hers that i liked in the whole movie because it reveals her to be a true zealot you know she's made of stone whenever any violence is happening that falls within jigsaw's parameters but the first time that someone commits violence outside of those parameters, she's like, oh, you sick bitch, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it's it's also worth pointing out that even though she never goes against Jigsaw in any real way, she did give him a little pushback on this person specifically. This, incidentally, is the girl that Jigsaw bought the tequila for, the one he, he sort of befriended. Uh -huh. And even he seems slightly more disposed to want to cut her a break. But Amanda's basically making the... Because the girl's a drug addict, essentially. And she buys Oxycontin or something from one of the other conspirators who I don't know, works in like a vet's clinic or something. And Amanda's making the point like people sometimes end up hooked on drugs through no fault of their own. And drugs make people do terrible things. Amanda's got this backstory where she was an addict and it, it actually plays into a lot of the middle stretch of this series in sort of peripheral ways. So there's a reason that she's got this particular uh, soft spot and Jigsaw's like, she had free will. She's got to play the game. Yeah. But I, and I suspect that Amanda being an addict plays into some fans' fondness for her because there is some truth there that you know you have to suffer to get clean and that withdrawal itself is a kind of torture you know you have to almost die in order to prove that you want to live so i think that all of that strikes a certain chord i just think that the way her character is written is pretty thin mm -hmm. and uh you know by design all of jigsaw's disciples have to fall short of his standards she does hoffman does because they're all like a little too bloodthirsty and a little too haphazard and they don't play fair and so they're all set up to be disappointments, in a sense. And that's kind of my recurring issue well, with all of them. Although Hoffman was more fun. <laughs> right. With his pout. Yes. <laughs> so one thing we haven't touched on is that halfway through all of these shenanigans, an interloper shows up and he 
purports to be someone else who got burned by these quacks who wants his money back. Well, and he's somebody who Jigsaw met, like when he's taking his initial tour of the OR, essentially. The guy's there purportedly recovering from surgery to have like a thyroid tumor extracted from his neck. So this is a guy who Jigsaw has at least seen before. So when the guy shows up claiming like, hey, I want my money back. I, I got to hold these motherfuckers accountable. Jigsaw doesn't like give him a free hand because he expects that the guy's going to look around at all these murder traps and think, what the fuck? But, you know, he ties <laughs> him up and then he's trying to basically bring him along to his way of thinking. Yeah, it's, it's very funny how quick Jigsaw is to try to indoctrinate people. He's like a Jehovah's Witness at this point. <laughs> you know, it's like if anyone displays the slightest inclination, he will just try to turn them into a murder disciple. And I think that that's just a, a weird byproduct of him dying in Saw 3, because after that point, the series can only keep going if various people are following in his footsteps. And by the end, he's revealed to have had a small army working for him the entire time. Yeah. Which kind of makes some of the more outlandish elements of the traps make a little more sense because you can have somebody over here installing the reverse bear trap and somebody over here installing the hypodermic needle pit and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't mean that he has to be everywhere at once. Nonetheless, it is silly in a different way that he's got that many people to drink the Kool-Aid. So it's just mm -hmm. trading out one silliness for another. It gets particularly irksome by the time you get to Jigsaw, and the big reveal is that one of the characters was a sawhead the whole time, was a, a friend of Jigsaw's, and, I, and I, he and I have been working together from the very beginning. And it just reminded me of like how annoyed I would get as a kid watching straight-to-video Disney sequels, where the villain was always like, affiliated with the villain from the previous movie but had never been on camera before right it's like oh yeah i uh, okay that's <laughs> ursula the fucking sea witch had a had a sister this whole time i don't buy it and i you know i was i was uh i don't know hard to please then and i'm hard to please now i guess anyway as a consequence of all that jigsaw right away is passing out pamphlets to this guy and you know giving him some literature to consider <laughs> <laughs> have you heard the good news and i thought that's where they were going with him i even because my memories of jigsaw were so murky despite having watched it only a few days prior i even thought that this guy might be the guy who turns coat in jigsaw like is this another origin story but no we got a, a heel turn from this guy where it turns out he's in league with the quacks and then he gets the jump on jigsaw jigsaw gets strapped into one of his own traps and then to heighten the stakes and this i thought was really crass but kind of hilarious the way that it's executed the main villain lady just sort of goes she walks around a corner and then re-emerges with the mexican kid and his football uh, okay a, okay a boy in one hand and a ball in the other the ball it seemed to me like the ball was there just to remind us who the kid was like he's still affiliated with this object and with this scene that we may or may not recall from the first act it's not quite as silly as you're making it's very it's silly don't get me wrong but there is a bit of warning before she goes and fetches him they start hearing a repetitive thunking noise yeah. Like a minute and a half beforehand. And then we see closed circuit camera footage from outside of 
the kid being back out at his kicking wall and kicking the ball around. So I just I, I wanted to point that out because the way you described it, it sounded like there had literally been no mention of this kid since the, the, when we <laughs> saw him in the first act. And then this woman just goes and gets him. But no, they hear the noise. And then she's like, I'm going to bring him in here to make you suffer. I'm going to make this kid die to make your suffering worse because he's innocent. And this rubbed me the wrong way simply because everything we know about this villain character just leads us to believe that she's a ruthless shithead, but it's all for money. Like even when right. she, she's, she's, she's craven, she's not sadistic. Right. Even when she goes over and crushes the radiation girl's neck after she's successfully beaten the trap and jigsaw is saying we have to get her medical treatment we have to take her to the hospital it's justified subsequently and even if it rings a little hollow just because the way she killed the girl was pretty fucking horrific medieval yeah, yeah. it's at least kind of hand waved away like oh well you know that's one less share it's more money for me but there's no financial gain to be had by murdering a child. Well, and and by not just murdering, but by she's she's just apparently she's just caught the jigsaw bug because <laughs> I, 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 I more than understandable that she wants revenge, but the thing that it would be in character for her to do is just take out a gun and just shoot them all and like maybe kneecap jigsaw first so that it hurts, but then dispatch him in a more or less conventionally criminal way. Yeah. Uh, instead, she just becomes the jigsaw and, you know, <laughs> straps him and the boy into a trap where they get waterboarded with blood. And then she has, I think, the worst line in the movie. She says, not waterboarding, bloodboarding. Blood so thank you for that. I had already written bloodboarding in my notes before <laughs> she said that out loud. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's this sort of seesaw thing where one victim is on either side, Jigsaw and the boy, and they each have a lever. And if you pull the lever towards you, then the seesaw tilts in your direction and you keep getting blood to the mouth. And then the other side elevates and the blood gets shut off. And so initially, Jigsaw's like, I'm going to take the bullet for the kid because... I'm the hero. <laughs> but then uh -huh. this, this fucking kid is also pretty hardcore. He repeatedly takes it back from Jigsaw, even though Jigsaw has told him specifically, don't pull the lever. In Spanish, so don't pull. We, we get what feels like multiple minutes of the two of them taking turns being bloodboarded and just sputtering. And it's not funny at first, and like I said, I, I didn't like that they got the kid involved. That you know just seemed like a really sort of asinine way of elevating the stakes. Oh, we'll, we'll strap the kid into the bloodboarding device. <laughs> right. This, this kid who very unceremoniously just kind of cropped back up. So it, it does not start out being funny. However, for me, it became comedic after a certain point, because just on like an aural level, it reminded me of nothing so much as the scene in Team America where the puppet is puking in the alleyway and you keep expecting him to be done. And then he just 
<laughs> lets it rip all over again. Just, <laughs> just an insane amount of spew. Like, and John Kramer is making those noises. You know? <laughs> and it, it, it just he cranks the lever, the boy cranks the lever, he cranks the lever, they just volley it back and forth, like, one time too many, and uh, it tips over into comedy, at least it did for me. So, I'm not, you know, because you know how these movies work, I'm not going to be giving the game away when I tell you, slightly prematurely, that Jigsaw had much of this planned out. Now, to the screenwriter's credit, they give him a line in a minute here, where he is recovering from his bloodboarding, and he says to Amanda, they're not quite the way we planned, but close enough, <laughs> which is kind of a humanizing thing. You have to assume that Radiation Girl getting her neck snapped was not part of the plan because it is unfair by their philosophy, and it upsets them both, him and Amanda. And obviously the boy getting introduced is not part of the plan. And this raises an issue for me because it's not clear. So presumably he thought that he and Amanda were going to be strapped into the bloodboarding machine and they were going to be the ones taking turns because Amanda is just kind of off to the side this whole time. She's at gunpoint, yeah. so she can't intervene. Occasionally it'll cut to a reaction shot of her looking fretful. <laughs> and that's <laughs> her sole contribution to this climax. But just by design, it seems like a trap that is set up in such a way that only one person can walk away from it alive. And that is just not in keeping with his ethos. So if the villains were paying attention, they would know that something was up because Jigsaw, theoretically, anyone should be... Well, actually, that's not true. He, he cheats all the time and puts people in predicaments where only one of them can walk away. So I think I'm yeah, making a, a mountain out of a molehill here. But typically, the idea is that everyone can survive if they just have the willpower. I think that he deviates from that. But really, it, that happens more in the sequels, so you could argue that it's you know Hoffman or whoever... Well, yeah, it's uh, it's usually bastardizing his philosophy in those sequels. A lot of the time it's you can survive if you have the willpower, but it's a contest of wills against right. one or more other victims. And yeah. you have to have not only an absolute level of willpower, but you have to have a greater relative level than your opponent. Right. Increasingly, as the series went on, it just became a, a fucking non-stop parade of trolley problems which i found really annoying <laughs> it's just like, characters being roped into these kind of idiotic moral conundrums where they have to kill one person or the other that happened a lot in saw six if i remember right mm. i think they did pretty well run out of steam by that point although there are things i like about saw six that i'll get into after the break so anyway jigsaw as per usual, has nigh oracular abilities when it comes to, you know, perceiving what his opponent is going to do at any given moment, several moves ahead. So we're down to just the two villains. We've got the guy who showed up partway through, purporting to be another patient, and then we've got the main lady. The two of them go to retrieve a bag of money and then get sealed in, poison gas, starts getting piped into the room, Hello Zep, starts playing. One obligatory part of the climax that I never got tired of, because it slaps. And the two of them start fighting like caged rats, because the idea is that there, there's a hole in the wall that one of them can stick their head through 
but not both. And so what I didn't understand about this is their skin in the room begins like blistering. Right. Which would suggest to me nerve gas. Right. So just having clean air is not going to solve all your problems. I had that same problem. And just structurally, this is one of the weakest climax flashbacks in the whole series because it's mostly flashing back to stuff that happened like two minutes prior. You know, it's (laughs) like it's Jigsaw warning the guy like, you know, she's going to turn on you sooner or later. Turns out sooner or later is inside of five minutes. (laughs) It's like, yeah. I actually do remember when he said that. It's less like, I mean, ideally, the feeling that you should be getting from these flashback montages, these they, they should be revelatory. You know, you should feel like Charlie Day with the string in front of the cork board, you know, putting <laughs> all the pieces together. It should not just be a greatest hits collection of things from, you know, it, I mean, if you were watching this on a DVD and you went to like scene select, this would all be the same scene. It's just right. flashing back to stuff that is absolutely adjacent to it. So that was uh, totally unsatisfying. I mean, watching them fight like rats is, is kind of okay. I actually don't remember how this shakes out. Does one of them... Yeah, the the woman, the doctor who masterminded all this shit, as far as we can tell, lives to the consternation of a man sitting behind me in the theater. <laughs> it's like, of all the people I wanted to see die, that bitch was number one. I'm like, well... Yeah. And his girlfriend's like, well, she won her game. I'm like, yeah. I, I, Amanda in the wild, in the flesh. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, <laughs> you know, Jigsaw's never killed anybody. <laughs> He's not even a serial killer. <laughs> He's just a serial torturer. Yeah. He's actually really deep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And then our our three heroes, if that's what they are. I mean, I guess the boy is blameless. The boy plus Jigsaw and Amanda walk off into the sunset, quite literally, or, you know, emerge into the light of day. And that's all she wrote, unless there was a mid-credits scene that I did. Did you get shorted again? I did. I did indeed. Does Hoffman come back? Because I I heard. You got to find, you got to find cam rips that do the credits, man. I know all the all these the, the pro, these fucking thieves just they want to get out before the lights come up. That's the problem. No one wants to stick around once the guys start sweeping. Yeah. So there is a mid credit scene. Hoffman does show up. Basically, the scene is Jigsaw has captured the cancer patient that duped him into this treatment scam in the first place. I wondered if he was meant to be in on it. Yes, he was. They've got him strung up, and yeah, Hoffman's there helping rig him up. And it's weird. The website I always use to check for these mid credits and post credit scenes classified this as a sequel setup. And I'm like, how so? I fucking doubt it. I <laughs> like, mean, it's it's a. <laughs> it refers to films that are later in the internal chronology, but sequel setup to me suggests setting up for a new movie down the line and far be it for me to predict that they're not going to make more saw movies i bet they will but this is not going to be setting them up because spoiler alert fucking hoffman's dead 
Yeah, that was the one thing I really liked about Saw 7 was the finale when they bring back Carrie L. Wes. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> that was <laughs> fucking wild. Yeah, bringing things full circle. I mean, that's like a fanfic fever dream kind of moment, but it actually worked on me. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I'm with you. But yeah, so Hoffman is dead. John Kramer is very dead. Amanda dies at the end of Saw 3. Yeah. You can have as many spinoffs as you want, I guess, and pick random disciples out of thin air. But nothing about this movie is like setting up a sequel, as far as I'm concerned. I quite agree. That might just be wishful thinking, or it just might be a semantic whoopsie-daisy. I don't know. Or just they didn't know how to code refers to films earlier in the series, but later in the chronology. Yeah, Saw does make you twist yourself into pretzels that way, trying to contend with it. More of that, definitely, after the break. Hello, everyone. It's time to play a game. You all pretended to cure me, but what I have planned for each of you is very real. The only thing I have not provided is your anesthetic. But trust me, you will want to remain alert. Hello, listeners. It's Jim, here as always during the break to tell you some stuff you probably already know. Please follow us on Twitter at ShockDoctorsPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ShockDoctorsPod, or check us out on Apple Podcasts podcast is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got an idea for a movie you'd like us to check out, feel free to send us a DM on social media or email us at shockdoctorspod at gmail.com. And now, back to the show. Out of all the men to cheat, you picked John Kramer? Please, don't hesitate. Place a big enough piece of your cerebral tissue into the glass enzyme tank. This will save your life. So this is not retribution. It's a reawakening. Live or die, the choice is yours. And we're back. So speaking of the series Twisted Internal Chronology, it's a fucking headache, man. <laughs> yes. Well, the movies are headache-inducing on multiple levels. I mean, <laughs> I, I emerge from the first one with a headache every time I watch it because it's got that Benny Hill garbage in it. Even Danny Glover doesn't emerge unscathed. He gets, you know... the subjected to the mosquito cam same as anybody else it's just it's got no respect whatsoever none for yeah carrie elwes is a you know a a respected thesp as well and he's right down in the gutter with the rest of them yeah well he also did black christmas so (laughs) yes yeah true that he's He's, he's done his his fair share of schlock yeah so you've got saw one and two and three are all, I'd say, roughly in chronological order. Does does that sound right to you? Yes. 
And then, in a certain sense, 4 through 7 also come after, but they're, like, riddled with flashbacks to justify, actually, no, Hoffman started in with Jigsaw at this time, and this part of this happened, and you're just ping-ponging back and forth like a fucking madman. Let me tell you about a funny experience I had real quick. Okay. I hope it'll be quick. (laughs) Uh, There was one scene that I liked in Saw 4, and the context for it was created by two scenes that I particularly disliked. So the ending of Saw... Wait, no. Saw 5. One good scene in Saw 5. Saw 4 ends with the reveal that Michael Hoffman is Jigsaw Jr. And I was like, okay, that's the that's the big twist. This kind of thinly written cop character has been it just seemed like so fucking arbitrary and perfunctory. So I didn't like that. And then I still might be getting the numbers wrong. Anyway, the next movie <laughs> opens or doesn't open, but near the beginning there is a by the numbers, just Edgar Allan Poe pitting the pendulum trap, the big pendulum blade. And I thought, like, okay, we've totally, the well has run dry by this point. We're just ripping off Roger Corman. Uh, (laughs) So two bad scenes. And then it's revealed that the pendulum trap was Hoffman's handiwork. And there's a scene where Jigsaw abducts him and berates him for doing subpar work. <laughs> it's like, you know, I will not have my name besmirched. <laughs> and he, he, he chews him out. And I just thought, like, that's hilarious. In, in a sense, that scene is, the, the pendulum scene, is meant to feel like a tired retread. And it's meant to feel kind of phoned in and phony. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe that was just a convenient coincidence for me. Edgar Allan Poe nut that I am, but I, I just thought it was, it, it, I don't know, it, one good scene piggybacking off of two bad developments, two bad scenes. So the ratio there is not good. Nonetheless, those are the diamonds in the rough that you look for when you're going through these movies as someone who's not a true believer. And I, I thought that was one of the moments that kind of, that kind of won me back. Mm-hmm. Now, Further on this this chronology question, the most egregious film in the franchise from a chronology perspective is Jigsaw, which is the eighth film. Mm-hmm. And it came out seven years after Saw 3D or Saw the Final Chapter, Saw 7, if you will, and four years before Spiral. So it's it's also just kind of off on an island by itself in that way. Yeah, where it shall remain, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. I mean, I liked it more than Spiral, but I, I, those are both kind of bottom of the barrel for me. Yeah. The big twist in Jigsaw is that... Okay, so there's a kind of big twist that is impossible to explain, except really aggravatingly with the even bigger twist that follows. So, first, Jigsaw is alive. And this is, the film is taking place, as far as we know, like 10 years after Jigsaw died. And multiple characters make reference to this. So when Jigsaw shows up in the middle of a game, in the flesh, totally fucking alive, everybody's like, what the fuck? And I'm wondering, like, okay, they've got to explain this. they got to jump Because Saw 4 opens with his autopsy. Yeah. And I messaged Matt on Facebook about this. 
I'm pretty sure that autopsy is done like 100% CG, which is such a weird fucking choice. Yeah, it's kind of cowardly. It could have been this cool kind of brazen. If they'd done it practical, it would have been sort of the ultimate body horror finale for our man Jigsaw. But instead, it is kind of unreal. This sort of PS3 cutscene ass bullshit. <laughs> so anyway, he's totally dead. And the big reveal is just that, oh yeah, by the way, all the scenes of the games, that actually took place 10 years ago before Jigsaw died. And all this cop procedural stuff is taking place in the present day. Yeah, it's all it's all over the place in a deceptive manner. And I, I, I thought maybe there was like one round of traps that happened in the past and another round that happened in the present, but... After a certain point, it's not worth the effort to disentangle all of it. It's who can be bothered. There's nothing there. Okay, there's arguably one thing that can clue you in to this possibility. But it's also so fucking arbitrary that it needn't necessarily be read that way. And I didn't at first. Retroactively, I do. But there's this big trap that's like a funnel with saw blades in it, basically, or, or like a, a big spirally sharp blade. And the first time we see it, the coroner has this assistant who turns out to be a saw junkie, you know, a jigsaw junkie. And like a true crime podcast girl kind of way. Yeah, a true crime podcast alt girl sort of <laughs> thing. And, you know, she's got, like, a bunch of either stuff she's gotten secondhand that was actually used in games or stuff she's reconstructed. And one of the things is this spiral thing. And she has a line about how I purchased the plans for this. Rumor has it that Jigsaw might have constructed this trap for a game that took place before anybody knew about him. All this shit. He is nothing if not prolific. It's like, yeah, as it turns out, that's exactly what happened. But she says this before we see the version of this trap that's in the game. So it's not even like it requires the Hello Zap backtrack fucking flashback revelation to come to it thinking that way. It's just she says this and then when you see that trap in the game, you're like, oh, well, she was probably just wrong. He just kept those plans on ice, and he's finally using it in this game that is happening contemporaneously. That doesn't feel like a clue. I'm sure the screenwriters were like, heh <laughs> This is a deft move. This is our fucking Kaiser Soze moment, and we fucking said it all. It's like, no, you didn't. Well, it's so fucking arbitrary. Think, these movies all think they are the usual suspects. That's how they end. I mean, that's more or less what they're ripping off. I mean, usual suspects, with especially with the auditory flashbacks. Yeah. That's the blueprint. The Saw movies are all just way less intelligent. It's less earned, and there's just a thick layer of grime over the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and Jigsaw in particular is a mess. Yeah, for sure. Spiral is just pointless. I mean, it's it's completely annexed from the rest of the series, near as I can remember. Yeah, it's basically just this cop character goes nutso and puts Chris Rock and his friends. Chris Rock also plays a cop. 
puts him through all of these traps that are inspired by Jigsaw, but there is no direct connection to John Kramer no. or, or well, they, they, they can't even all. get the voice right. I mean, it's not, it's not Tobin doing the voice. So there's absolutely no reason to. Well, and I remember too, it's funny. You made a crack about the pig masks and we commented on how stupid it was in spiral with the pig masks and how it's never explained. It's because to my recollection, at least the pig masks don't appear in Saw one or two. So Spiral, they're in, they're in the first one. I'm almost positive. You see, I had completely forgotten about them. Yeah, he's been pretty schizoid from day one. Pretty, pretty nebulous in terms of his iconography. Yeah, well, and the one thing Jigsaw the film does do—not that it's like a satisfying explanation but it provides at least some kind of explanation for the pig masks in that we discover that Jigsaw's ex-wife, her family owned a fucking pig farm. Which is where the whole movie plays out. That's where the all the torture goes down. It's like, okay, I guess I could see like where he could have gotten the material for the pig masks, but like, why is that? Why, why is that part of your whole thing? What does that have to do with anything? It's stupid. Well, on the subject of his wife, this is sort of a thorny issue, and it's 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 a it's surprisingly easy thing to forget about, considering what a pillar of the mythology it is. She's not a full blown bathtub wife. I mean, she's she's kind of a lot of things and and not really any of them. <laughs> so she supplies his tragic origin story, his his fall from grace. She is pregnant and a crackhead swings a door into her belly and she loses the baby and that is what sets him on the warpath basically so you think that she's going to be the archetypal sainted wife character who either dies you know in bathtub wife fashion or she's going to be like well you're a what are, what, what are you turning into you're a monster and it seems like that's where they're going with it but then she's just another disciple after a certain point, she has a, a series of sparring matches with Hoffman, which just feel like they're just they're just fighting over scraps, you know, <laughs> at the end of Saw 7. And uh, ultimately, she emerges victorious. His coolest moment ever is when he survives the reverse bear trap by jamming it between the bars of, of his cell so that it can't deploy all the way and it only partially rips his face in half. Right. That's pretty gnarly. Again, diamonds in the rough. Her character is just, you know, I mean, I think that bringing miscarriages into it is almost always tacky and it's cheap in kind of the same way that bringing the kid into the, 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 the what do they call it, blood boarding trap is cheap. And her whole character is just kind of a weird cipher. I think that it would have been more dramatically satisfying if she hadn't just become a replacement jigsaw, one of many, after he kicks the bucket. He just kicks the bucket so soon in the series that it very quickly becomes a quantity over quality thing. You know, he's just seeded the world with these with these potential heirs to the throne. And despite being closer to him than any of the others, she's maybe the least interesting. And that becomes a real issue for me. The whole trajectory of the franchise is just you moving further and further down the chain of command, which is just <laughs> bound to be unsatisfying to the point you get to uh, Jigsaw 
and the guy's like, haha, I've been part of his operation from day one. And it's like, I've never fucking heard of you. You know, it's like, it's like when someone name drops a celebrity and you can just hear in their voice, it's like, you don't actually, you have like this one story, but you're not on a first name basis with this guy. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I can just tell. Yeah. I do have to correct you quickly. Jill Jigsaw's wife does not get the better of Hoffman. Hoffman does kill her with the, with oh, a then, reverse bear then, trap. And then Carrie Elwes kills him. That's right. Yeah. That's okay. What happened to Carrie Elwes? We never get that indication. Also, well, Saw 7 opens with a flashback of him cauterizing his stump on a hot pipe, which I thought was pretty sick. I mean, yeah, uh, that, then, that was dope. Don't get me wrong. And him killing Hoffman is also fun. But after he's beaten Hoffman, what happens? He doesn't crop up in Jigsaw or, God forbid, Spyro. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe if they do a Saw 11, maybe it'll follow Dr. Elwes. <laughs> Dr. Gore. Yeah, I mean, maybe just because he's in the first one, he has a legitimacy that so many of the other Jigsaw Juniors kind of lack. I, I would like to think that he's just not in any of the other movies because this is all beneath him, but on the basis of Black Christmas, perhaps not. It is stupid that when he comes back, he's wearing Dementor robes. There is kind of a LARPy quality to some of the costuming. Jigsaw, much of the time, and it's worse than Saw 2, he wears this black robe with a red lining on the inside that just makes him look like an evil sorcerer. It's just <laughs> yeah. offensive to me. It's very like, I put on my robe and wizard hat. <laughs> he, just, he just looks like a doofus. Yeah. Well, and particularly, he's got, in some of the installments, definitely when he pops up in Jigsaw and he's wearing that, but some of the other installments also, he's got this obnoxious little, like, beard strip on his chin. Yeah. He's, it's just this little, like, half-inch, quarter-inch wide line of hair going down from, you know, like where a soul patch would be down around the bottom of his chin. It's very silly. Just to try it on for size, he's going through a phase. You know, his days are numbered, so <laughs> you might as well. <laughs> I don't know. See if you can pull it off. I have to say, I've rarely had a kind word for Saw 1 and 2, which prior to this latest experiment were the only ones I had seen. I think they are still top of the heap for me. I think that Saw, the first Saw, I mean, I talked about this before we even got into the plot rundown. The police procedural stuff in all of these movies is always like creepy pasta tier. It's just like a child's understanding of how the police operate. And, and that's fine because it can be larger than life and kind of cartoony but it's not even wrong in a cool way it's it just feels stupid well and some of the i gotta say some of the worst performances in the franchise come from some of these like tertiary cop yeah. support characters i mean some of them are really really bad now because hoffman is a detective you know ostensibly <laughs> <laughs> the cop angle that thread of the whole thing gets a little more entertaining as the movies go on culminating in a pretty fun scene 
where he just goes berserk when he's about to be found out and <laughs> murks a bunch of cops and then gets away scot-free. Well, uh, one of whom is Mark Rolston, fucking Boggs from Shawshank. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's, he's like head-fed and he's got Hoffman cornered in some room once they've confirmed that it wasn't Agent Strom who did all these murders, it was Hoffman. And then, yeah, Hoffman just, like, pulls out a knife and waves it across his throat and slits his fucking... <laughs> and you just get the sense that it's, it's, it's something he's wanted to do for a long time. So seeing him cut loose like that is kind of cathartic, especially because it brings all of the bullshit cop stuff to such a definitive end that you're like, oh, it's over. Because <laughs> you know, it's been bad right, right out of the gate. It's, I think, worst in the very first movie, which is a crying fucking shame, because that's the one that has Danny Glover as the cop. Yeah. That's one half of Riggs and Murtaugh. Just an unbelievable failure to even begin to approximate the promise of, of that potential. I have to say, the movie where it improbably succeeds for me is Saw 2, when you get a surprisingly committed performance by Donnie Wahlberg. It <laughs> reminded me, because B has watched all of these movies, so I was in and out of Saw 2, having seen it before, but just revisiting it recently. It reminded me of what we're always saying about whichever Baldwin brother it is who's in John Carpenter's Vampires. Oh, Danny Baldwin. <laughs> like, yeah. His, yeah. His... <laughs> just acts his balls off <laughs> for two minutes. Not even the whole movie, just the sad scene yeah the the fucking tearful farewell at the end <sighs> and uh donnie Wahlberg is kind of acting his ass off in saw 2 then is bizarrely brought back several movies later and i don't <laughs> think has any dialogue he's just in an ice trap for half of the movie and then his head gets splatted really thankless yeah well it's got to be in four because he spends a good chunk of that movie in that ice trap it's another fucking seesaw and in the other side of the trap is Hoffman. And that movie ends with Hoffman doing his heel turn. Like, actually, yeah. I'm in on it. So Saw 2 has Donnie Wahlberg going for it. And every time it cuts back to him, he's just having a heart-to-heart -heart with Jigsaw. That Like, that's his trap, is just having this tete-a-tete. -tete. <laughs> and I think Jigsaw is at his most charismatic in Saw 2, that's when he gets closest to, like, that Heath Ledger Joker, you know, which, like, the, this movie's biggest fans, the people who have their minds blown by the trolley problem for the umpteenth time, the people who think that it's really philosophically compelling, his whole live-or-die thing. Saw 2 is where Jigsaw comes the closest to actually being halfway interesting. Mm. And some of the stuff with the victims works for me in Saw 2. I think Saw 2 comes closest to capturing the vibe of Cube, where you've got sure. victims just in this hell machine trying to work together, but butting heads and, you know, we gotta, how are we gonna get out of this thing? All of that, that's passable. So Saw 2 is sort of a high point on that basis. And then Saw 1 has the worst cop stuff and is, is mostly, I think, pretty bad. But when I think Saw, I think Carrie Elwes and Lee Wannell in a room, you know, chained to a toilet. <laughs> it, it, that, that, to me, is still kind of the 
seed from which all of this has grown. And the ending is killer. I mean, you get Hello Zep over. It's really the only epiphany montage that works for me in the whole franchise when Jigsaw peels himself off the ground and it's revealed that he's been in the room with them the whole time playing possum. That works for me like gangbusters. Game over. <laughs> uh, so Saw 1 ends on such a high note that I'm willing to look past a bunch of the garbage in it. So despite the fact that I've seldom had a kind word for either of them, I still think I might like Saw 1 and 2 the most. And then the rest is all just kind of this big smear <laughs> That's where you can occasionally pick out Hoffman doing something hilarious or, you know, the, I, I like the shotgun carousel or, I you know, I, I don't know. I'll say this, and this is one area where Saw 10 comes up short. Towards the end, this is not the case so much with Saw 7, but I think Saw 6 and maybe even Saw 5, but again, the smear effect is making it difficult for me to differentiate. <laughs> but certainly in Saw 6, you were getting a little bit more of a political bent where Jigsaw was going after insurance company ghouls and just people, white-collar criminals mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And that, to me, is a little edgier and a little more interesting than him just going after the cartel, you know, in, in, <laughs> in his latest outing. You know, and, and again, people who have wronged him as an individual. I think that Jigsaw works best when he gets to embark on these self-righteous rants, these long-winded screeds. Again, I think that he's a blowhard and a windbag. <laughs> but when he is laying into that guy in Saw 6, that is kind of satisfying. And I think that it would have been a better send-off for John Kramer and for Tobin Bell if Saw 10 had not been a Don't Breathe 2 or a Death Wish, but had instead pitted him against some suit some untouchable kind of guy like the insurance company vampire in saw six someone who has not broken the law but has done these unforgivable things and only jigsaw's vigilante justice is going to give him a fair day in court as it were you know fair by john kramer's standards <laughs> right instead he's just offing criminals in saw 10 people who likely as not, will wind up getting mowed down by the Mexican police at some point to bring an end to their criminal escapades. You know, it's just it's not, it doesn't hit the same way. Uh, if you want him to be this kind of elevated anti-hero or, 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 or comic book supervillain, I think it, 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 it's better for him to go after people who are insulated from consequences until they wind up in his crosshairs. Yeah. I'd say, as far as I'm concerned, I think you're generally right about Saws 1 and 2 probably being on the top of the heap of used needles. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the other movies are just such a heap, they're such a jumble, that it's hard to play favorites. Yeah, so you set those aside. I think 10 is probably third best, just because... As I said earlier, it's just a lot easier to watch. It does so much less of the doofy mosquito cam stuff, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And, like, the fast motion Benny Hill bullshit. And it's got very little cop banter in it. You don't have any scenes where, like, a couple cops walk on, look at an insane torture device, and turn to one another and go, like, you think this is our guy? 
<laughs> no. <laughs> Couldn't be. No way. John Kramer's dead. <laughs> so I, I, it does it does shed some baggage. I'm more lukewarm on Saw 10 than you are because I don't think that what comes to replace all of that offloaded crap is really that engaging. I don't like that he's... I mean, I just, I don't like the villains. And that's, there's all kind of a lot of grandstanding from the main bad guy towards the end that did nothing for me and really reminded me of Don't Breathe 2 in a not very flattering way. Yeah, I didn't particularly care for the villains in this one, but I know you said the kills in this one didn't really do anything for you. I felt somewhat differently. The uh, radiation machine, that didn't do anything for me. I guess technically that's not a kill. That's a disabling followed by a murder. But I did like two of the other ones. The first one requires a fake nurse from John's procedure that didn't happen. She has to take this wire saw, basically, and cut off her own leg and then use this, this suction gun to suck out her bone marrow. And something about that is just... I'm not a real hardcore gore hound, but something about that was just so gross. It's, and it's so very visceral. The, it's not only blood, but it's like it's marrow. It's this white right. goop amidst the blood that's getting strained out. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. All of these reports, you know, I don't know if you heard any of this, but supposedly Saw 10 was the latest in a, a handful of recent horror movies that supposedly had people vomiting. And... It didn't get anywhere really close to that for me, but that was the moment that if I were inclined to puke, probably would have been there. That was pretty yeah, hardcore. That, that, that has to be the scene that's doing people in. And in a way, they had nowhere else to go because there have been more than one trap throughout the series where people have had to give up liters of blood in order to extricate themselves from this or that trap so it literally if, if, cut if off blood, a pound of flesh too right the blood and meat are passe at this point marrow's all you've got left yeah you just gotta jam this suction gun into this splintered bone i mean it's it's pretty fucking hardcore yeah i gave that one short shrift i admit the other one i liked although i don't think the execution was as good as maybe it could have been one of the kills involves this guy cutting open his own skull basically the guy who was pretending to do it to john in the fake hospital room cutting open his own skull and then pulling out a piece of brain matter and in part i responded to it because it reminds me of the movie i'm gonna recommend i'm sure you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm but I also, it's just like, well, again, that's pretty fucking hardcore. And I don't think the execution, as I said, was what it could have been. For one thing, I expected like some kind of maybe behavioral change or like to have it affect him other than just pain. And that might have, I don't know, given it a little more impact or something. But I, I still think just the idea alone, I give him some points for that, even if you could argue it's cribbed from elsewhere anyway. Yeah, I also could not stop thinking about the movie that I suspect you were thinking of. Yeah. So that for yeah, for me, it was very much in that one's shadow. But yeah, I, I still, as I said, I think this is probably the third best one. And then you take three through seven and 
some are better than others, but it's all just kind of one big morass at the end of the day. And then yeah. Jigsaw and Spiral are way down in the bottom of the barrel. I mean, for me, it's it's four through seven that are the real melange. Three is, well, three, is I think three is more distinct, conspicuously a little worse than the others. I thought, which is I think a controversial opinion or a hot take, as we now call them. Well, it's I got the most is... Amanda in it, right? Well, exactly. So if you're an Amanda stan, then three has to be one of your faves. It was one of my least favorites. Well, it's got kind of a dreadful performance from this doctor who they've captured and who they're forcing to perform the, the surgery on Kramer. Yeah, and it's it's become a meme now how slowly he trudges from one torture set piece to the other. He's, it's why the movie is two goddamn hours long, because he just can't get the let out. Yeah, because he is at death's door. He's just very, very, very ill. But at the end of the day, still not a particularly good franchise. But I can say I've I've gotten through it now. So there's that. Yeah, I'm not sorry to have seen them all. It really cemented my impression of the whole thing. And I can't lend my voice to the choir of people who are just avowed saw appreciators you know in that irony poison star wars prequel kind of way <laughs> but neither am i a flat-out hater there are some standout moments and uh, that's all all you really need for a long-running horror franchise i will say though that the juvenile kind of like whoa isn't this blowing your mind 360 revolutions of the camera and the zipping around and just the grime and cruft of it all, that will always be abrasive to me. I think that it makes sitting through all of these harder than sitting through an equivalent number of, like, Friday the 13th movies. For I think sure. that For sure. I'm more attracted to, <laughs> you know, a more stripped-down, old-school sort of, even if it's exploitation sleaze, I just find something so abrasive and off-putting about the visual language of these movies that it is sort of as i've said insurmountable for me but i surmounted it <laughs> for, for the sake of this episode and in the interest of us uh, segueing into recommendations here the movie because i like a fair number of movies that were fairly or not labeled torture porn back in the w days i like hostile more than you do by uh, a, a quite a quite a margin i think a considerable margin yeah i like martyrs it's not quite as stark i think as the turning for example but uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't particularly like hostile yeah well i i like i enjoyed the turning sort of despite myself i will actually <laughs> go to bat for hostile with a fair degree of enthusiasm and it does sort of i mean it's not like a friday the 13th movie that's not a great example but it's it's more clinical in its depiction of what's happening and you know it's not like michael haneke or whatever <laughs> but it's, it doesn't do this like blah, 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 crap that the saw movies are are chronically doing it sort of lets the horror speak for itself in a way that is way more on my wavelength you know i like Martyrs and a couple other new French extreme movies, so I can I can fuck with this kind of abattoir slop. I guess Martyrs is a little more high-minded than some of them, which go figure, it'd be up my alley <laughs> uh, in that regard. 
But the movie, the number one movie that I like to trot out on those rare occasions when I get into it with Saw people, just to prove that I can Hang. beat that, 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 that I yeah that I'm that I'm cool <laughs> uh, is the collector from 2009. It has the same kind of in-your-face grime and cruff that I'm denouncing here, but it's just executed with a little more panache. I think the camera work in it is actually. I mean, it's not Brian De Palma, but but it's it's not this zippy mosquito crap that you get in these movies either. This Benny Hill shit, where it's just this sort of erratic Marilyn Manson music video thing uh-huh. that's supposed to be whoa, so crazy. It's a little more refined in the Collector, and. I liked it way more than I thought I would. I like I went in with low expectations, which is probably to the movie's advantage. Usually is. There's stuff in it that stuck out to me because it is it is like a jigsaw kind of setup. The villain, the collector, rigs a house full of all kinds of insanely unrealistically elaborate traps that you would need a small army to install in a timely manner, and it is just the one guy. But Whereas Jigsaw is sort of comic book coded, you know, and he can go around like Santa Claus delivering presents you know, <laughs> to the whole planet just because he's kind of magical in that way. The collector struck me as almost being more Hellraiser-esque, sort of like a Cenobite. Like, it, it doesn't seem feasible that he did all this, and yet he did. So there's this almost sort of incipient supernatural thing that creeps into that movie that i like and some of the traps my favorite one at one point our our main character is just blundering through this house trying to get out and he's survived much more horrific ordeals at this point than what i'm about to describe nonetheless it is my favorite he blunders into this room and there's just dozens of fish hooks suspended from the ceiling on like fishing lines and he just like snags his upper lip on a fish hook and is like, well, God. And like one of them gets in his ear, I think. Or they just like snag on him in this obviously non fatal, but gruesome and inconvenient way. And it just like, it just horrified me. <laughs> I don't know why. Because <laughs> it's like, it's such a bump in the road compared to what people are normally up against in movies like this. But there was just. The, like, I don't know, the, like, naked sadism of it kind of did it for me. It's so it's so low effort and yet so much more impactful than some of the much more outlandish shit that Jigsaw and his ilk got up to in Saws 3, 4, 5, etc. So, yeah, The Collector is, as, as you said, the movie that proves I can hang. And it, it, it is so much like a Saw movie, but there's like some chromosome in it that is missing from the Saw movie. It's just some, some key ingredient that makes it, they're like almost identical twins, but there's just, there's just this, this little hairline difference that sets it apart. For me, your mileage may vary. I mean, you might think like, what are you talking about? This is exactly as bad as a, as a Saw movie and in exactly the same way. But for me, whatever is in it that is missing from the Saw movies made a world of difference. I think the camera work being less, well, no, equally ostentatious, but in a more polished kind of way, went a long way towards 
winning me over. Yeah, I, I guess I'll, I haven't watched that, so I'll have to give it a go and see if I feel similarly or not. Uh, the Collection, which is the, the sequel, is not very much good at all. Okay, so, no doubt. Uh, the, the, the magic alchemy was already gone by that point. Yeah. You know, it's funny you talk about liking a few of the new French extreme movies and Martyrs and stuff. As much as I hate the camera movement in the Saw movies and why I think it's a big part of what makes them just bad in general. I found myself enjoying the grain. There's there's a lot of grain in basically all of the fucking three through seven that I yeah. watched over the last less than a week. All of the shots, the film grain is way up, and the color palette is that quintessentially aughts, like, jacked up, blues and greens and and like sickly yellows yeah saw three might be no not three saw two might be the most yellow movie ever made that's true it is it is is jaundiced (laughs) it is yes super fucking yellow movies don't look like that anymore and it's probably for the best but (laughs) and this may just be an artifact of that's the time I came of age in the aughts, but I have a certain fondness for movies that look like that, even if what the camera is actually doing movement wise is absolutely abhorrent to me. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a small point in their favor and something that I think they have in common, as I was sort of saying obliquely with uh, those new French extreme movies. I'm kind of a vulgar auteur agnostic sometimes it hits sometimes it doesn't have you ever seen running scared i just watched running scared a few nights ago yeah the the paul walker one yeah it's that exact kind of wacky camera work but rocky sort of thing that you're describing (laughs) Uh, definitely a wild ride so I, i i i share your your nostalgia for that period at least some of the time yeah anyway my recommendation which as I said, Matt will see coming a mile away, is Hannibal from 2001. Yes. I thought of Anthony Hopkins saying, you know, the brain itself feels no pain. Uh, The guy in this movie would appear to beg to differ. (laughs) Although, granted, he has gone through his scalp and skull at that point with no anesthetic. But he seems to be flinching when he's carving his brain up. You would think that he would, I don't like, just go cross-eyed or something. You would think. It's the third installment in the Anthony Hopkins. Or wait, is it the second one? I'm second guessing myself. So it's the third in the chronology, but it came out before Red Dragon. That's right. So yeah, you have Manhunter, which doesn't even have Hopkins in it. It's Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter, which I need to rewatch because it's fucking incredible. And then you have Silence of the Lambs. Everybody knows Silence of the Lambs. Then Hannibal, which is the movie I'm recommending. Then Red Dragon, which is a prequel and which is covering the same events as Manhunter. And then you've got the prequel Hannibal Rising that came out in 2007, which is apparently absolute trash. I think you confirmed it's that for me. really fucking bad. I almost saw it in theaters, but I conjoled a mutual friend of ours to instead see Zodiac with me, which is one of Woo! my great <laughs> cinephile victories. That's, yeah, that's uh, doing the Lord's work, son. Um <laughs> But uh, anyway, Hannibal, it follows a recast Clarice Starling. It's Julianne Moore now. And 
She's got an FBI colleague played by Ray Liotta. His name is Paul Krendler. And the climax of the film features Anthony Hopkins having opened up Ray Liotta's skull, and he is removing pieces of his brain and then frying them up and feeding them to him. Yeah. Oh, that smells good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, like, Ray Liotta's all the way gone. Krendler's gone. Uh-huh but he just keeps eating pieces of his own brain and it's fucking it rips. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's definitely cooler and much bigger of a deal than the similarly themed set piece in Saw 10. But frankly, anything that reminds me of that scene and is even remotely competently executed, I got to give points for. But anyway, yeah, Hannibal, not as good as Silence of the Lambs or Manhunter, but it's still a Hannibal Lecter movie, and it's still good. Yeah, I'm a pretty big Hannibal apologist, actually. It's, I feel sort of the same way about Alien 3. There are a couple high-profile misfire horror sequels that I have a, a soft spot for just because they're by a director who, you know, I, I almost said, I mean, Ridley Scott has his fair share of misses, yeah. but... I question whether Hannibal is one of them. And particularly, I like all of the stuff with Giovanni Ribisi mm-hmm. hunting him down in a, you know, Florence or wherever the fuck he's on the lamb. Yeah. All of that cat and mouse stuff could have sustained an entire movie. Definitely. And, I mean, you you obviously know I will also go to bat for Alien 3. Like, nobody's yeah. business. So. <laughs> Well, anyway, given that we spent so much time going over all of the other Saw sequels, we've run pretty long, so I think it's time to uh, to wrap up here. Yeah, it was probably equally as disorganized as the experience of actually watching the <laughs> movies. I mean, we jumped around no more or less than the actual filmmakers did. You're not so. wrong. <laughs> well, maybe they'll find a way for tobin bell to be in another one of these movies so they'll make another midquel god knows they'll never stop i mean yeah there's there's still cracks in there that they can fucking <laughs> every <laughs> hour of his last days into. is not accounted for so <laughs> <sighs> until next time i'm jim smith i'm matt jerandese and we are the shock doctors we'll see you later Quick note, when Matt referred to Giovanni Ribisi being in Hannibal, he meant Giancarlo Giannini. Apologies. As always, we have some acknowledgments. Our music was composed by Will Connor. Audio for the bumpers was taken from Saw 10 2023 official trailer, Tobin Bell, uploaded by Warner Brothers Pictures. All rights reserved. Our next episode will be up on Sunday, October 29th, and we will be discussing David Gordon Green's latest legacy sequel, The Exorcist Believer. See you then.